Hello and welcome to By the Mash Turn, a podcast by a couple of nerds where we brew some beer, drink some beer, and have a nice little chat about some beer. I'm Mike Harrison Wood. I'm Carl Noble. And we're not brewing again today. We're not brewing again today. No, we're going back to basics. Yeah. This time, a second time. Yeah, a second yeah. time back to basics. Yeah. yeah, episode two, we're doing fermentation on beyond. Oh, well, there you go. So um, where we left off last time, um, we had done the brew day. Yep. Pitched the yeast, shut the door, and then we left Dave to it. Yep. Dave is not with us today. No, no, no. Uh, it was quite a while ago that he did his beer. Um, so a fermentation for him has already happened, and he yes. is in the beyond. But we uh, thought it would be a good idea to talk about the basics of what happens after the brew day has finished. Yeah, because, I mean, like once you've pitched your yeast, you're probably quite excited about yeah. what's going to happen next. Because, you know, you like you, you spent the time, you looked at all the available recipes, and you bought your ingredients, and you, you did your brew, and, you know, now you're going, ah, I want some beer now. Mm. But you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. Yeah. That's the process of fermentation. Yeah. It, it, it's not a case of banging the yeast in, and then, then the next day you just be able to pull a nice bottle of beer out of the fridge. I mean, you can, but you're going to have to put a different bottle of beer in <laughs> the fridge the day before. Yes. So there, there are lots of basics to know. Uh, when it comes to fermentation. Lots of different strains of yeast uh, with lots of different positives and lots of different negatives, each of them. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've got some... Uh, you were alluring to the fact that the fermentation takes a little while. Some of them do take quite a while, yeah, uh, like, such as like, lagers. Yeah, so like if, if, if you're doing uh, a lager, if the first beer that you've decided to do is a lager, um, if you're looking at the recipe, you may come across um, you know, just how long the fermentation process is. So... Um, two main differences between certain types of yeast is you've got bottom fermenting, top fermenting. Mm. Um, lager is normally a bottom fermenting yeast. Um, so it means that basically it sits at the bottom and that's where it does all of its business. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And lager yeast is... Uh, it, it's been selectively bred to work better at cooler temperatures so you're going to be fermenting at like 10 degrees unlike an ale yeast where you're going to be fermenting at much warmer degrees mm. um and because it's colder it just takes a lot longer because the yeast is a bit sluggish yes so and then there is a direct correlation between the amount of time a fermentation takes to complete and the temperature at which that yeast is kept yeah. as well so colder slower yeah. but there are also positives to going colder and that uh, the yeast don't just produce alcohol. They don't just intake sugar and output alcohol. No. They also produce things called esters, yeah. which is another weird brewer's weird word. Well, although I think that's from the food science community rather than from the brewing community. More than likely. Yeah. Uh, that is a certain sort of often associated with fruit flavors. Yep. Uh, uh, the most clear-cut example I often use is wheat beer gives banana-y esters. Yeah. And that's that's uh, partly from the wheat, partly from the yeast, emphasising that. And, uh, yeah. And so, so the, the, like, part of it is um, that in the the consumption of sugar. So the way fermentation works is yeast takes in the sugar, uh, they convert it into uh, as a byproduct alcohol and CO two, but they also create a lot of different um, compounds, a lot of flavour profiles, and various other little bits. And some are. Uh, desired in certain styles of beer and mm -hmm. some are not desired in certain types of beer. So getting the right temperature for the type of beer that you want and getting the right type of yeast makes a very big difference. Yeah, and it, it can be a, a tricky line to walk uh, trying to 
get exactly what's right for that beer. But as a rule of thumb, if you're, if you're just doing a simple beer, don't worry too much. Use a nice, clean fermenting yeast, such as USO5. I think we mentioned that previous yep. episode. And ferment it at a sensible sort of mid-range temperature, something like 17, 18 degrees. Yep. I mean... Uh, uh, C, uh, centigrade. Yep. That's I mean, a, like, like, even with that, you can, ta- you can take it up to 2021. 20, like, like, most yeast packets you come across will have a optimum temperature range... Indeed. ...for you indeed. to use them. Um, and they'll also have pitch rates as well. So the, the amount of yeast from the packet uh, that is designed to be put in a certain amount of liquid yeah it's a lot like making bread if you get a dried yeast packet on bread it'll say add two sashes to a loaf of a certain size and that's yeah. going to get you the one and it's it's just to make sure that you've got enough yeast in there to do the job yes and it's not the end of the world getting that type of thing wrong just 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 as a warning there oh yeah if you're under pitching so let's say uh you are only putting in one uh, pouch when you should be doing two uh, all that w- will happen is that fermentation will take a bit longer to get to the the point at which it's ready. It won't take twice as long. It will take sort of time and a half yeah. to get so, there because it needs to take a lot of time just reproducing and, and creating lots and lots and lots more yeast before it can really get into that primary fermentation. Yeah, so I, I mean... Fermentation um, is basically broke down into uh, three stages, essentially. You've got lag phase, and that's basically how long it takes the yeast to kind of wake up um, out of, especially if you're using dry yeast, gets rehydrated, it wakes up, and it starts doing its job. Uh, then you've got the kind of expansion phase where you're create, where it's creating lots and lots of cells, and that is also where fermentation happens. Mm. Uh, and then you've got um more of kind of like a cleanup phase and that is basically where the yeast has done its job it's consumed all the sugar it can and it goes into a more dormant phase but that's when it also cleans itself yeah which cleans uh, the beer which is uh shown clearly in the example with lagers where there is something called a diacetyl rest yeah so diacetyl rest um when you're fermenting uh lager you'll ferment at 10 degrees once fermentation is complete which will normally take about two weeks um you bring it up to about 16 degrees um and what that does is that allows the yeast to become a little bit more active which will allow it to start clearing up um a lot of the byproducts that it creates so you know it's a lot kind it's a lot like a a housemate that doesn't clean up after themselves until you know it's families coming around and eventually they'll end up getting rid of all of this stuff because <laughs> there's um, nothing better to do exactly this is like well i best do it now because you know i've got no else on um so yeah the the yeast will then clear out all of those um kind of a lot of the sulfury sort of taste that you don't necessarily mm. want it'll, it'll clean out some of the uh, more unpleasant flavors that during fermentation especially if it's the first time you've ever fermented anything you're going to be like that smells funky i don't know if i ever want to drink that the yeast will clean itself uh, and that happens after fermentation so that is um one of the main reasons for a diacetyl rest for uh, lagers and after that you'll then bring it down slowly over about 30 days and that's the lagering yeah. process so the, the shortcut of that is uh, don't worry if it smells weird especially lager especially lager lager will smell very eggy yes Uh, (laughs) that big sulfur yeah yeah, that's a lot of the sulfur uh and that's one of the main reasons of the um the lagering process the diacetyl rest is to help bring that down uh to help the yeast clean all that all that stuff up so yeast is very clever it knows what it's doing um and 
I personally just leave it alone. Like yeah. once once I've pitched the yeast, I put the thermometer in for my thermal switch, I shut the door, and I pretty much leave it alone for two weeks. Like yeah. I might look at it every now and again <laughs> to go, has fermentation started? Because that lag phase can differ. Um, yeah. Sometimes it can be 30 minutes before fermentation starts. Sometimes it can be four hours. Sometimes it can be 12 hours. Don't panic if you don't see active fermentation happening in the first 24 hours because it might just be slow going. Yeah, and I know a lot of people ferment in pla- uh, either clear plastic or uh, glass demijohns, yeah. that type of thing, purely in order to have a visual look to see how fermentation is going. So rather yeah. than having to open it up and, and look through through the little nozzle down into the beer they can just see from the side oh look the beer's fine and there's a nice healthy you ready for another weird brewer's weird uh, word yeah. krausen krausen yeah I, I, I do like that word it's K K R A U S E N. is that i believe uh, so krausen uh formed on the top it's it's the it is the yeast but it's also a mixture of foam and bits of beer and and it's just like a big big chunky bit of head yeah, on it, top it, of it, the beer it does look very interesting um, yeah. and a lot of that is yeast so you can uh, if you've got a small yeast lab or if you're interested in cultivating your own yeast what you can do is you can take a scoop of that mm. um, and then you can repropagate yeast from yeah. that because there's loads of active yeast, yeast on yeah. there um, so it's a, it's a good way of kind of reusing yeast but you do have to make sure that you wash it uh propagated on properly i mean we could go into that and that's very in-depth uh, yeah. but there is plenty of information and in uh, out there in the uh the great wide world on how yeah. you can do that sort of thing if you're interested but if, if you are doing a top fermented beer you should definitely start to eventually see a krausen so yes. if you haven't got one in three weeks then it's it's probably uh, uh probably yeah. time to start seeing yeah. what's up i mean uh, like i would say if you're not seeing any fermentation um active fermentation in the first 24 hours look at repitching some yeast so that's a that's a simple thing to do um what you can do is you can agitate your wort so get a sterile um long wooden spoon plastic spoon metal spoon mash paddle whatever whatever you want sterilize it and stir the beer try not to really really mix it up but you know get it stirring get it moving and then add some more yeast to it yeah. And then hopefully that'll get everything kickstarted because you never know, you might have just got a duff batch of yeast. Yeah, um, which is something that happens sometimes. The packets uh, aren't perfectly pristine. Yeah. It's it's not really anyone's fault. It's ju- It just, just means, happens. Uh, it is a yeah. living organism at the end of the day. Yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes you do have to repitch or, or yeah, re-agitate yeah. To, to wake it up a bit. So that's the sort of thing you should be expecting to see in the first couple of days. Um, yes. Now, me and Mike differ slightly on our approaches uh, that happen over the next two weeks um like i say i just shut the door leave it alone um <laughs> because i don't need to look at it like i don't i don't need to know what's going on i mm. just trust that it's going to do what it's going to do and then at the end of a two-week period i tend to go right okay best have a check of it now and i'll open the tap i'll take a gravity reading chances are it'll be at my expected sort of gravity and then I'll either leave it alone again for another <laughs> week, um, or I'll do something about it. Yeah. Whereas the the um, I'm I'm a bit more uh, 
hands-on. I, li- I like to check every sort of uh, three days, maybe sometimes every two days, depending on how quick fermentation is. Um, and it, it's it's partly to check that fermentation is going well, uh, do a little gravity reading, see uh, where it's going fast, where it's going slow, because I find that kind of thing interesting. And and it's also uh, and in a small way to train my palate as well. So going from uh, wort, which is fresh from brew day, very sugary, sweet, really uh, very, very sweet to finished beer is a very big contrast. And what I like to see is that gradual shift from one to the other and, and taste that because in my mind that better informs me to be able to predict what the final beer will be like when I taste the unfermented wort, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I do understand that. Cause I used to do exactly the same thing. Um, but now you're at the point where you don't need to. You well, just... yeah, like, like, like now, now I'm able to kind of taste wort and go, okay, I I can guess pretty pretty well what that's going to end up like at the end of it uh, especially when it comes to like recipes i've made before or if i'm uh, using yeast i've used before yeah um and that type of thing does just come with experience so. it, it, it does um and i mean fortunately i have a job that allows me to just leave it alone for large periods of time as well mm. because i just i work away so once once it's in the fermentation fridge if i go away it's not getting touched but what it does do um you've got to allow beer once fermentation is finished you can't just bottle it straight away because what you've got there is you've got green beer so once fermentation is finished you've got green beer you need to allow that time to condition yeah and that what, do, condition, what do you mean by green then that's uh... so green so green beer is uh, just after fermentation is finished so four or five days after you've pitched fermentation will tend to have finished um and you can you can find that out by doing gravity readings once you get on three consecutive days, gravity readings that haven't changed, fermentation is done. Yeah. Because um, sometimes it just slows rather than finishing. Yes, yeah. yeah. But it, it, that's what you, you test it three days in a row, especially if you're checking it at that sort of five-day to seven-day mark. Uh, check it three days in a row. As long as the gravity doesn't change, fermentation is done. But the yeast hasn't finished this job. This is what I was saying before about uh, the yeast cleaning itself. You should realistically leave it for another seven to ten days in the fermenter to allow the yeast to drop out and clean itself. Because what that does is that gets that allows it to uh, mop up all of those um, kind of flavor compounds you don't want in the beer. So with lagers, it's the sulfides and mm. um, other various bits, and you end up with um, a conditioned beer at the end of it. Uh, yeah. So big breweries. They'll get out their fermenter, but they'll back it. They'll bash it into casks, and they'll allow it time to sit in the cask. Yeah, and um, that that type of uh, cleaning can happen in other containers. It doesn't have to happen in the fermenter, but uh, no, that's a very I, convenient way of doing that. It, it's what one of the things. One of the reasons I don't like to tinker with my beer too much over that time is the more times you touch it, the more chance of getting yeah. an infection you have. Yes, I've definitely uh, given my beer an infection post-fermentation i'll get into that a bit later because it's to do with uh, a different process but yeah it, it you you are looking to minimize the amount of time that it is open to the atmosphere um yeah um or p- potential nasties falling in yeah exactly than... like uh the big thing to remember is um yeast bacteria germs all that's all they don't crawl yeah so you like 
it, they, they they fall into things so leaving an open container or uh putting something um uns, unsanitized into it that will that will increase your chances of an infection having a um you know a gap in the lid a bug is not going to crawl along and fall in yeah well, a bug might yeah but, a, but a, not a bacteria a, isn't yeah a, not a, a wild, wild strain yeah. of yeast isn't um so yeah, that's one of the main reasons I leave it alone and why I allow it that conditioning time in its fermentation vessel. Yeah. I just I just let it do everything in there. And then it means that I'm only having to clean once, I'm only having to clean out the fermenter once, I'm only having to do everything mm. that once. And it just it keeps everything contained because I know it's a sterile environment. Yeah. There there was a uh a tradition back in the day, I, I, this is more finding out from people who have been homebrewing for decades rather mm. than years, uh, where the common wisdom was to do secondary fermentation. I used to. In, yeah. Well, yeah, like yeah. When I first started. Um, and as time's gone on, people are starting to realise that that's really not important and mm. it's more about the time. It's not being in a separate vessel yeah. that's important, it's just the time well, taken. Well, that, that, that secondary fermentation was the conditioning phase. Yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah. that was when people would, they would take it off um the yeast cake because what happens once once all the yeast is done thing and it starts going dormant it all tends to fall down to the bottom and you end up with just a layer of thick sludgy yeast at the bottom yeah Um, which weird brewers weird words is called a cake there you go a cake Mm. and you can slice it up and eat it if you want i wouldn't (laughs) um no way don't stick candles in it and give it to brewers for their birthday no um but yeah what i think one of the um one of the big things behind that was they were worried about um weight on the top of the yeast cake uh so weight of the wort on top of the weight mm. of the, the beer on top of the yeast cake um causing undue pressure and actually popping the yeast Yikes. and creating off flavors but the thing is is in a homebrew level you're not doing it to that sort of no. level there's no way the amount of beer you're producing is going to ever create that um unless you've got a very very narrow long fermenter where <laughs> which, you can where you yeah, can I increase that a... which just doesn't happen so what they used to do is they used to once primary fermentation had finished so after say five days they would then rack it off to a secondary another, fermenter. Another weird word. Yeah, so racking, uh, racking essentially just means taking it from one container and putting it into a different container. Yes. Um, so they would rack it off into a secondary fermentation vessel, um, so that would get it off the yeast cake, but what that would allow people to do is that would allow them to reuse that yeast cake, because you could pitch fresh wort straight on top of that yeast cake. Yeah, and that would just re-agitate it, it all. It would, and, it would yeah. start going again, mm. uh, which is brilliant. That's a great way of reusing yeast if you've got the space yeah. to do you, that. You can only do that for a few generations. I think it's like yes, five, yeah, yeah. five is the recommended maximum yeah. or something like that. Um, but that secondary fermentation vessel, they would they would keep that at you know, 16, 17 degrees um, if they had temperature control or just whatever their airing cupboard was or bedroom, whatever. Mm. Um, and they would allow that to sit for another seven days, 10 days. That's the conditioning. And at that point, would it then be racked into bottling buckets or racked into a keg? Um, and that was the kind of secondary fermentation. But now we've kind of realized, ah, there's just no point in doing secondary fermentation <laughs> because you're not creating undue pressure on the yeast cake, so you may as well just leave it there. Yeah. Um, another reason for secondary fermentation was for dry hopping. 
Yes, uh, which is a, a trend that it's becoming much more popular these days as beer fans are looking for more and more of that hop hit. Uh, there is another weird brewer's weird phrase, I guess, uh, dry hop, which is adding hops into the fermenter post-fermentation. Yeah. And that gives, essentially, it's it's all of the aroma and very little of the bitterness. So you're getting lots and lots of big, hoppy, fruity, juicy flavors sometimes, Um some you know you, you get that grapefruit that that pine all all those big popping flavors that you get from the hops and very little of the bitterness so it works wonders for if you've got a style that is big and hoppy and bitter anyway such as a west coast ipa yeah as an additional bump in that flavor so it's already a big flavor and you're just giving it a bit more extra to take it over the line and it makes it just this huge flavor Another thing that has started happening very recently, uh, you might have seen on certain beers, is the abbreviation DDH. And that corresponds to double dry hop. Oh, I see what they've done there. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that uh, we, we talked a little bit about in the New England IPA. It's, it's, it's one of the standard methods in that is, yes, you add the dry hops post-fermentation, as usual, as you would with the West Coast IPA, but you also add some hops uh, right when the fermentation is at its peak, when it's you know, it's really bubbling along yeah. heavily, and that causes essentially a bio transformation Ooh. is what it's called. Uh, it's more of a chemistry word than a brewer's word. Yeah. But um, what Brewing that is chemistry, though. It, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, what that does is just take all of the juicy bits of the hops and makes them extra juicy. So you tend to get less of your sort of citrusy, zingy flavors, and you get more of that big juice flavor tropical it's a it's a when the yeast is interacting uh with the hops so uh when i first started brewing one of the reasons you did it uh post fermentation you dry hop post fermentation is because uh everybody well i mean not everyone but a lot of people thought that the yeast would take once it dropped out of suspension uh it would take a lot of the um the hop molecules the, like the flavor molecules down with mm. it and take it out of the beer um so you would end up with something that wouldn't be as hoppy as if you just waited for fermentation to finish and then dry hop at that point but now it's it actually just changes yeah um what it, what kind of compounds are there yeah and so to get the maximum hoppiness you're doing both you're adding yeah. during and after and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful style. There and is one expensive. drawback. It's expensive. <laughs> so there's two drawbacks. It is very expensive the, the, to get the a really big punchy flavour. You do need to get those premium hops. Yeah. Uh, and the second disadvantage is you're adding dried hops to your finished beer, yeah. and they are very absorbent, mm. and they suck up. If 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 you're using a huge amount of hops, that's actually quite a big chunk of your beer potentially just gone on rehydrating these hops yeah um so you got to weigh up at what point is it actually worth it i suppose a possible third issue is uh are they sterilized well uh, that's one of the very good things about hops is that they uh, do have very slight disinfectant qualities about them uh hoppy beer in itself is very good at fighting bacterial infection yeah 
so for example, if you are making certain sour styles where you're purposefully inoculating with weird and wonderful uh, bacteria and wild yeast and stuff, you have to be really low on the hops because if you put too much in, they won't touch it. Yeah. They, just, they just die straight yeah. away. And so similarly... Much you, like with dogs. Yes. <laughs> Uh, similarly, you don't have to worry about sanitizing hops too much. If you're putting in fresh hops, just chuck them in. Yeah. If you are if you are putting them in hop bags, though, make sure you sanitize the hop bag first. Uh, that's how one of my beers came a cropper. From your hop bag? From I, I can only assume. It was after I dry hopped. Yeah. Um, I've had no trouble dry hopping before or after, but I think that I wasn't as thorough with sanitizing the hop bag. Yeah, as uh, it was uh, I mean, normally. A, a simple way of doing it is either dip it in star sand for thirty seconds, yes, or boil it, or boil it. Yeah, yeah, boil, boil it. You have to boil it for about ten minutes, though. Yeah, just to make sure it's absolutely sterile. Yeah. I mean, um, I, what I normally go for is I normally just a bowl of star sand. I normally just soak yeah. it in star sand and then squeeze them out. And I, I can't remember if we got into star sand last episode, but star sand is a very, very, very convenient chemical for brewers. Uh, I think it's acid-based rather than alkaline. Uh, Sanitizer. So it's not a cleaner, it's a sanitizer. But it's it's very good after you've bleached everything, after you've made made things clean and then washed it. The the star sand is like a concentrated thing. You mix with water and you you can put it in a spray bottle or in a bucket. uh, And you can either dip that item in the bucket or spray it with the... Uh, spray bottle yeah it's got a 30 second contact time it's brilliant yeah Uh, it's it's acidic enough to kill everything but it's sort of very chemically safe for you to you can dip your hand in it and as long as you wash it yeah i think i think one of their slogans is uh don't fear the foam yes it gets foamy yeah but don't fear that foam yeah like like if if you've got a uh, a bucket like a fermentation bucket and you spray it with star sand you tip all the excess out if there's still foam in the side just pour straight into it it will not affect the flavor of your beer no at all not at all like at all it, it, it basically just neutralizes itself yes and it's gone uh, get some star sand a word of warning make sure that you test star sand with a little bit of your tap water first so if you take uh make the the, the, the correct solution um quantity with your tap water but small amount if it goes immediately cloudy, you've got the wrong type of water for star sand. Yeah. So what that cloudiness is, is that cloudiness is the acid being um, neutralized by the alkalineness of your water. Yeah. So uh, so if it goes really cloudy really quickly, as in within minutes, you can't use it as a sterilizer because the acid is gone. So uh, where we are in Reading, uh, we have the wrong type of water. Yeah. Our tap water is bad for it. So I have to buy bottled water and mix it with bottled water. Yeah, it's a shame, but it's it's uh, one of the necessities of where we live, yeah. unfortunately. But some places your tap water will be fine. Yeah. Always check before you use it as a sanitizer because if you're living in the wrong place, you could be spraying all of your equipment with something that is doing nothing. Yeah. So there is one last little bit of conditioning you can do it's a bit optional yeah and it's it's more for those that have control over the temperature of the fermentation uh it's something called cold crashing now none of them are weird words but it is a very specifically weird phrase uh 
although it makes sense. Uh, you are basically chilling the beer quite quickly, yeah, down to a certain temperature in order to make the beer sleepy. No, make the ye- yeast sleepy and fall to the bottom. And uh, what that does is clears out the beer uh, visually and uh, makes the cake, which we discussed earlier, uh, thicker, juicier. Yeah. Juicy, uh, a nice juicy cake. Nice bottom. juicy cake, but leaving the the beer nice and clear and fresh and uh, it, it more makes it, it makes it a lot easier to rack off. Yeah, um, because you've got uh, so as we were talking about um, earlier, different types of yeast: you're bottom fermenting, top fermenting. Uh, but within those, you've also uh, more the sort of top fermentation um, yeasts. You've got uh, high fluctuate, high flocculation, and low flocculation. Flocculation um, being, yeah. So basically. Um, how much it kind of holds in suspension um so when it flocculates basically it clumps together and drops down to the yeah. bottom the so, weight of itself clumping together yeah so high, so so high flocculation uh will give you a clearer beer because the yeast will naturally gather together and it will drop to the bottom and that tends to lead to your more bottom fermenting mm. uh, but then you've got low flocculation so a lot of your uh, wheat beer yeasts are low flocculation um so that's why a lot of wheat beers um not only because of the wheat element of it uh but because of the type of yeast that's in there tend to be more hazy because yeah. what you're actually seeing is you're seeing a lot of the yeast still in suspension um so cold crashing what that'll do is that will um help to take the a lot of the already dormant yeast that are still floating about and they'll just start to sink down to the bottom Mm. Um, uh, with a wheat beer, you're still gonna end up with a hazy beer because it's so low flocculating. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just helps condition your beer yeah. that much better. And you, you want to do that for two, three, maybe four days if you're, if yeah. you're feeling what fancy. It, what it will do is if you're off on holiday mm. or anything like that, and you're like, oh, but I need to get that into bottles, or I need to get it into a keg. Cold crash it if you can. Go off on holiday, come back, it'll be fine. Yeah. Like, you can cold crash for a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Because the decrease in temperature also helps to preserve the beer. Yeah. Uh, as well as uh, it, taking out all the temperature. If at any point you've got an infection, like, cold crashing will stop that infection. Yeah. I mean, chances are you, you, your beer has already been <laughs> infected. But yes. um, you're not going to get an infection while it's cold. Yeah. It's not, well, at least that infection's not going to grow. But I, I will point out, yes, cold crashing is optional. It's not necessary. It's no. not. It's not one of those parts of the process that has to happen. So if you do not have fermentation uh, control, temperature, temperature control. controlled fermentation, yeah. don't worry too much. Yeah, it's it, not. It, it's not it, the like, other world. I, I I didn't start with it. Like yeah. it, it it took me quite a few brews before I got temperature control. But um, one of the the big um, things that changed how I brew was temperature control. And one of the uh, the things that led me to that decision uh, was a book that I read and I advised you read when mm. uh, you started brewing. And it's just a book simply called Yeast. Yeah. Um, find it online. Um, there's a set of books. Um, yeah. and uh, it's, it's by the Brewing Elements series. Yeah. Yeast, the Practical Guide to Beer Fermentation. Yeah. And it is absolutely amazing. It may sound like it's going to be a very dry read because it's written by a microbiologist and it reads like a microbiology textbook, but it's done in a very good way that um, most laymen 
can understand it. You don't have to be a microbiologist to understand it. There yeah. will be kind of points where you're like, I don't need to know that. Persevere, it's a very good read and it will change how you view what yeast is and how to take care of it. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. I, I can't advise a better source for understanding fermentation than that book. Cool. Right, well, we've got to the point where we have finished beer, 100% finished. Yeah. Cold or not. Cold or not. Yep. Yep. What are we going to do with it now? Uh, well, it depends how you like to consume it. Mm. Um, I mainly bottle and keg. Yep. I, I keg more than I bottle now just because it's easier. Um, but I have used um, casks before. Yep. And I have also used polypins, which I use. I polypin at least once a year. Yeah. So there are several options, but as a home brewer, one of the easiest to get your head around and to implement is bottling. Yes. Uh, that that uh, might be the most time-consuming of them all, but it's definitely the easiest yeah, to what, what, that, That'll allow you to kind of store um, your beer easier. It'll allow you to check how it's conditioning, especially um, things like stouts. So you can, you know, rather than opening up um uh, like cracking a cask of it and getting that on the go because at that point you're going to be you've got a few days to drink it with mm. bottles you can go oh i'll have some this month i'll have some next month oh i want to take some up to uh, judith up the road or i want to give yeah. some to me nan or you know it allows you to kind of mix it about a bit um and it also allows you to do kind of fun and interesting things with your beer yeah so the the principles of bottling with homebrew at least is to do something that's called bottle conditioning which is uh you you may have seen in supermarkets if you're buying beers from local breweries or or smaller breweries a lot of their big 500 mil brown glass bottles will have somewhere written on the bottle that this is bottle conditioned and that means that there's still yeast in it it's still a live product because that is the easiest way to do it yeah Yes. So all, all you're doing is, uh, well, the principle of it is that you are taking this finished beer that still has some yeast, not a lot, but still some, and you are adding, uh, you are putting it into a container that can hold a little bit of pressure, so glass with a cap, and also to that you are adding a tiny bit of sugar, and what that sugar allows is the yeast to munch on it, nom 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 nom, turn it into a very 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 small amount of extra alcohol. Yeah, but negligible amount. Negligible, but it also allows it to produce quite a lot of CO two, and then that CO two then carbonates the beer, uh, keeps that sort of pressure up, and uh, is yeah more visually appealing, nicer well, to that, drink. A, 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 another big part of it is um, it's a way of preserving your beer. Yes, so and what preserving. so so what it'll do is as the beer. Um, as the yeast kind of chows down on all of that sugar byproduct of that is co2 so as that goes into the bottle it'll fill up the little bit of headspace mm. where you haven't quite filled up to the top it'll fill that up with co2 and then the excess will be pushed into solution so because the co2 has no way of escaping the only way it can go is into the liquid itself yeah um that happens better at colder temperatures 
than it does at warmer temperatures. Um, you get a much better solution conversion. So that, um, that's that's just the the amount of CO two that can be squeezed into a liquid. Yes, is, is higher, higher at a lower temperature. at a lower temperature. Yeah. Yes, which um, which also explains as a beer warms up, it uh, if if you open up a warm beer, you get a lot more foam. Yeah, than if it, you open up a cold it, beer because it kicks right yeah. out of solution. Uh, but what that will do is that'll put a CO two blanket in the headspace. Headspace is the uh, area at the top of the yeah, beer before yeah. it hits the cap. Uh, it'll put a CO two blanket because CO2 is heavier than uh, oxygen, and that will coat the top of the beer in CO2. Now, the biggest thing for making beer go off is oxygen. Mm. So you want to try and keep oxygen away from it. So the CO2 sits there, and that will help preserve your beer. And that beer can sit fresh for years. Yeah, depending on the strength and other added added ingredients yeah uh it won't it won't remain hoppy necessarily for that time but it will always it will not vinegar yeah Uh, a a, a simple rule of thumb is that the stronger the beer the longer it can last on the shelf uh that is simple simply because alcohol itself is a disinfectant and a a hostile environment to other nasties so if you've got something that is you know 11 12 percent that is essentially never gonna go off really not really. Um, I mean, like, like a bottle of whiskey on a shelf. Yeah, it's never going to go yeah. off. It doesn't go bad. It's too, too like, concentrated. Like, like, like the flavours will change. Uh, but with certain yeah. styles of beer, you want that to happen. So stouts. Yeah. Stouts. stouts. you want to let them yeah, sit. Yeah, yeah. Any, anything with a heavy, dark malt presence yeah. is, is... You want to give it time rounded just to sit and, smooth. And, yeah. sit and ruminate. Conversely, uh, there are a lot of uh, flavour compounds in hops that are very unstable. Yeah. And given time, they will break down. And so a lot of those really intense IPAs, the really the really big, strong hop flavors will diminish over time. And ideally should be, even if you're bottle conditioning, should be consumed within six months if you're looking yes. for that big hit. Yeah, yeah. They will be fine for 12 months. Yeah. But if no, you want that... To drink it. Yeah. If you want that big hit, you want them 12 months. If you're doing something like a New England IPA, you want that within one or two months. Like that is oh, yeah. that that drops out really like, quickly. It, it basically, as soon as it's um, finished its conditioning, so a bottle conditioning, um, I normally bottle condition for a minimum of two weeks. Yeah. So I put it into a bottle and then it'll sit on a shelf. Sit on a shelf it, at, at normal fermentation yeah, temperatures. At, at, at normal room temperature. Uh, I don't tend to put this in a temperature control fridge or anything like that. I just go, room temperature will do just yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> and then you do that. Now, when I first started brewing, I did hear a two weeks uh, two weeks warm, two weeks cold. Yeah. Um, so that was four weeks conditioning. Uh, but I had no way of storing that amount of bottles cold for two weeks. Uh, and I wasn't going to start filling up my fridges Mm. with 40 bottles of beer um <laughs> Need but, a lot of fridges yeah so the the way you're going to bottle um what i normally do is i'll from one fermenter i will have a bottling bucket which is just another fermenter with a tap on it i will measure out my priming sugar so priming sugar is the amount of sugar that you're going to need to put in each bottle to yeah. make it from go through a little fermentation to give you that co2 um now i normally go for a range of if i'm doing 40 bottles that's about 20 liters um i will normally do about 80 to 100 grams of sugar and i will then make that into a syrup using boiling water 
Yes, because uh, that sanitizes everything. That, that'll sanitize yeah. everything. Then that gets tipped into the bottling bucket, and then I just rack from fermentation bucket into the bottling bucket straight on top of that, and that will allow it time to mix. And then from the bottling bucket, from the tap, I just fill my bottles up. Make sure you sterilize, clean and sterilize all of your bottles, especially if you're reusing bottles that have had... Um, bottle-conditioned beer in beforehand. Yeah, really because, have a good look at the bottom of yeah, the bottle. Check inside because if you haven't rinsed the bottle out when it was when the yeast was wet, chances are you've got dried yeast in the bottom and that's going to take some scrubbing. Yeah. So clean all your bottles, sanitize all your bottles, get everything ready. Um, Star San is your friend here. Um, get a capper and get everything you need ready to go because as soon as you start putting beer into those bottles, you want to be nice and quick about it. Yeah. Yeah, you It'll want to minimize about that. half an hour, depending on how many bottles. <laughs> I did. It, it, I think it, I did yeah. one bumper one that lasted nearly an hour. Yeah, that and was, uh... that, I mean that's not including cleaning and sanitizing and all of that. That's literally yeah, just bottling yeah. and capping. If you can get two people, brilliant, because you can get one person filling the bottles, handing them off, and another person capping them. Getting us getting a good bench capper will make a world of difference rather yeah, than a hand yeah. capper. Hand cappers work, but the bench capper I'm is not, just. I, 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 I mean. I don't know. I, I had bad exp- well, not bad experiences with um, hand cappers. Uh, maybe I just wasn't using it right, but <laughs> I was genuinely concerned about them just slipping out or me shattering the bottle. Whereas as soon as I got a bench cap, it was like kadunk, kadunk. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, bench cappers can be a little bit irritating if you've got a lot of varied size of bottles. <laughs> yeah, because you do have to adjust for the height of the bottle. The the so. good thing is, is if you're deciding the bottle. Getting bottles is really quite cheap because mm. you can buy you can buy brown glass ale bottles for about two pound fifty from pretty much any off license, and they're already full of beer. <laughs> so you're buying them for two pound fifty each, and you're going to reuse them a lot because it's glass, yeah, yeah. and you're getting a free beer with every bottle purchase. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I to be honest, I did start with uh, the five hundred ml bottles. Uh, yeah. I started eventually to move towards 330 brown glass. Yeah, as well. I, I, um, I, I normally do it depending on the strength of the beer. I'm yeah, because so, sometimes you don't want 500 mils of something that's 7%. No. Um, sometimes you do. No. Well, uh, definitely. Although so, one important caveat is don't go for green or clear glass. Yeah, I mean, if all you can get is green glass, it's fine. better than nothing. Yeah. Like, try and avoid clear glass as much as you can. Because if you've got clear glass, if that is all you have, make sure you store it in the dark. Yeah. So Do not uh, allow it to get hit by any sunlight. Yeah. As, as I mentioned, the instability of the hop flavor compounds is spurred on by UV light. Mm. And obviously clear glass has virtually no UV protection Green glass, even less, uh, even uh, more, but still not as much as brown. Brown has yeah. the most UV protection. Get your bottles brown. Or stone. Or stone. Yes, yeah, stone bottles. Yes. Although, if, op- if op- can. optimally, if you can find a place that is completely devoid of sunlight, then that's, uh, that's also yeah, good. Yeah, uh, but also, if you're a forensic scientist and you have a lot of like UV torches kicking about, try and avoid... Yeah, turn all pass- them off. Yeah, try, try and avoid turn passing all those over your bottles if you can. Um, so that's the basics of bottling. Yeah. Um, kegging. Kegging, um, it takes a bit more knowledge of CO2 and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, I- it's, it's not... It looks intimidating at first, but it, it's really not that difficult. 
But we'll get into all of that in the uh, next episode or two uh, because it is a bit more technical and obviously there are safety issues as well. So we don't want to just give you a very quick overview. No. No. Right, well, uh, you've got your beer and it's in some bottles and you're leaving it. Fantastic. Yeah, it'll be beer time soon. It'll be beer time. Thank you very much. Uh, Next episode of Back to Basics, I believe we're heading over to themaltmiller.co.uk. Yep. And we're going to start looking at the pros and cons of various types of equipment Mm. you might want to use. I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Okay, well, we'll see you there. See you then. Bye. Bye.